Support for Veterans Corner on Veterans Corner Radio is made possible by M&M Printing and the Observer News of Ruskin. Hello and welcome to Veterans Corner Radio Podcasts, information for and about veterans. For this edition of the podcast, Bill welcomes Kevin Friel, Deputy Director of the Veterans Administration Office of Pensions and Fiduciary Services. Just what is the VA Office of Pensions and Fiduciary Services? If you are receiving a check from the Veterans Benefit Administration, that's probably where your check is coming from. In this podcast, Kevin Friel explains how his office can benefit veterans. He also explains how, should there be a veteran who needs help in handling his or her financial affairs, his office can provide that help. They also discuss eligibility requirements for various survivor and low-income benefits. This is powerful information. Deputy Director Friel will return again after the first of the year to expand on each of the financial services they provide to veterans and their families. Here now is Bill Hodges with Veterans Corner Radio on Veterans Corner Radio Podcasts. Welcome to Veterans Corner, a show dedicated to providing information to all those who have served our country's military and to their families. Now, here is your host, newspaper columnist, management trainer, and Air Force veteran, Bill Hodges. Hi, I am Bill Hodges, and this is Veterans Corner Radio. And with every Veterans Corner Radio, there's going to be things you're going to want to write down. So have a paper and pencil. If there's anyone else in the house with you, bring them in to listen. I have with me today, Kevin Friel. He's the Deputy Director of Pensions and Fiduciary Services for the VA. And I'm not even sure I can define the word fiduciary, but I know it has something to do with money. Deputy Director, we're glad to have you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to come in and discuss our programs. I really do appreciate that. Just what is your office and how does it affect our veterans? Uh, the Pension and Fiduciary Office belongs to, to the Veterans Benefit Administration. And what it is, is we look at from the perspective on the pension side, we have responsibility for three different benefits, that being pension for both veterans and survivors, uh, dependency indemnity compensation, and burial benefits. From the fiduciary aspect of it, what we do is we have oversight of the fiduciary program. Uh, the fiduciary program is uh, designed to assist beneficiaries who have been determined incapable of managing their VA funds. And what we do is we appoint a fiduciary to help assist them with that and to provide, you know, to make sure that they're not taken advantage of and their funds are used appropriately. The fiduciary offices actually provide oversight of that program to make sure that the fiduciaries are doing what they're supposed to be doing and uh, not misappropriating the veterans funds in any way or beneficiaries funds in any way. Let's slow down on that a little bit because you just put out a whole lot of information And I think it's important information because a lot of our vets, as they grow older, shouldn't have a checkbook in their hands. They've got a problem with being able to remember what they paid, where they paid, who they owe, and things of that nature. Are you saying that the VA has help for them? 
Yes, sir. Once uh, we receive information, and it's typically uh, one of two things, either a medical diagnosis that would show that the beneficiary is unable to manage their funds, or where there's a court uh, decision made that you know somebody needs to have that type of oversight. Uh, we have the fiduciary program in which we can basically assign a fiduciary to help assist them with managing their budgets and making sure that their bills get paid and, and their money's not taken from them in any inappropriate way. I'm curious here, if I'm the son or daughter of a veteran and dad won't listen to me, but he does need help, how do I go about getting that help for him? So there's a couple of things in here. That's a very tricky question. Um, okay. Uh, typically, what we need is we need medical evidence. So if we were to receive information from a third party, a son, a daughter, or whoever, it would create, from our perspective, like a development action, right? We would say, hey, we, we have information. We we wouldn't just go make that based off of somebody telling sure. us that. Okay. And potentially, we could end up sending the veteran for an exam, a medical exam, to get clarification on whether or not what we're being told is actually in fact. Uh, because, you know, we do have circumstances where people will say stuff out of anger or whatever, and, and we don't want to put a veteran in a situation they shouldn't be. And then we'll also give the veteran, you know, the opportunity to go to their own physician, somebody they've been dealing with for their entire life. And it's normally what we try to recommend because that individual, that that physician has the history of that veteran where, you know, we would send them for an exam and it would be it would be a meeting that doctor would do everything appropriately, but doesn't have all the background that their private medical physician would have for them. Are there forms to file or phone numbers that uh, the children could call or even even a spouse might call? Yeah, the 1-800 number would be the appropriate number. That would get them into the, the VA call centers. I think it's 1-800-827-2000. I'll have to validate the number for you. I'm sorry, I don't have it off the top of my head. With that number, they would be able to call into our call center, express their, express their concerns, and that would trigger some action being sent to a veteran service center or a pension management center for them to look at it and, and pursue any additional actions that would be needed. You know, this is, this is a powerful service just in itself. Yes. I mean, it's one that we take very seriously. We look at it, especially when we look at our veterans, you know, a veteran may have come in in their early 20s and, and applied for and gotten received benefits and, and may have not had any interaction with the VA since then. You know, they, they got a rating of 50%. They were satisfied with that and never came back in. And now they get, as you stated, they get older in life and they get maybe there's some medical issues or conditions where they can no longer manage that. And if they don't come back in, it, it's hard for VA to find out about it. So, you know, having somebody come in and let us know that is something we, we take seriously because, as I said, we want to make sure that we're looking out for our beneficiaries. And part of the program, too, it's not just for veterans. If we have the spouses in the DIC program or, or you know, in the pension program, it's the same type of criteria. Also, if I was the son of a spouse of a veteran, yes. I could say I need help, too, or they need help. Yeah, this, the individual receiving benefits. So if the spouse needed assistance with the benefits that she was getting or, or needed that additional fiduciary oversight, we provide it to spouses, underage children, as well as veterans. So somebody should just call the overall VA number when they get someone on the line, say, I'd like to talk with fiduciary services, and then they can tell them what they need? No, they actually need to talk with the Veteran Service Center they need to actually talk with the call center and, and, and provide the information, and then the call center will route it to the right place. The reason is, is that the fiduciary program doesn't engage until after we've made that determination. Oh, okay. The proposal, actually, the initial proposal that someone doesn't have the ability to manage their funds. Uh, once that initial proposal is in place, 
Um, the rest of it then go, it moves to the fiduciary hubs and they have the responsibility for providing, you know, making the final determination and then initiating the process to get a fiduciary in place. Is there criteria that someone has to meet other than being a veteran to get these kind of services? Well, they have to be a beneficiary within our programs, right? So they have to be, uh, in, for VBA's purposes, they have to be a, receiving, you know, compensation or pension or dependency indemnity compensation in order for us to initiate them into our program. Our fiduciary program is only designed, right, that the, the law limits us to the responsibility to um, oversee the VA funds that are oh, being, okay. being granted. So if, if they're not already receiving some kind of VA money, then they would not qualify for this program. Correct. If they, yeah, if they're not in receipt of benefits, then, then we don't keep them in the program. Now, the one thing to be cognizant of with this program is we have the re- requirement to port them to NICS, which means that uh, the Brady Bill comes into effect that, you know, they would, the uh, restriction on gun, on gun ownership and gun purchasing would, would then come in if they are determined uh, within our program to be unable to manage their funds. And all of those are very important things that they will learn as they go through the process. And at any point in time, they can say, I don't want to be a part of this, correct? No, they can't. Once we make no? that determination, the only way that we, they would end up coming out of the, our fiduciary program is, A, they stop receiving benefits from us, or B, they provide medical evidence that indicates that they are capable of managing their funds. And then we would have to do a, another uh, rating decision to make the determination of their ability. Some of the things that I've been reading talk about wartime veterans. Would you define for me what wartime veteran means as far as your department is concerned? Yes, sir. Sure. Thank you for that question. So within the pension program, uh, one of the requirements for eligibility is that the, the veteran have at least one day of wartime service. That does not mean that they had to be in a, in a you know, if they, were, if they served during Vietnam era, they did not have to serve in Vietnam. They just have to have one day of service during the Vietnam period. Yeah, I was talking to a fellow this morning and he said, well, you know, really, I was in during Vietnam, but I never left San Francisco. And I said, did the communists take over San Francisco? He said, no. And I said, then you did your job. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. It's important to know other requirements here. Are there income requirements that people must meet in order to take advantage of your services? So for the pension program, it's a needs-based program. So uh, yes, there is an income threshold that is established. But the one thing that's unique about our program with the income, uh, you know, for a veteran, it's $13,000 annual income. For surviving spouse, it's about nine. Those rates are available on, on va.gov on the webpage. Underneath the program, there's a rate that'll tell you what it is. The rates are adjusted every year for COLA. But one thing that's unique with our program is that we also utilize medical expenses as a means of reducing income. So the, the beneficiary is, uh, is responsible for like the first 5% of whatever the allowable rate is. So if, you know, if the rate was $10,000, they'd be eligible for the first 5% of that. And then after that, they meet that title. It's about, a, it's a dollar for dollar reduction. So, you know, individuals in assisted living facilities and in, in nursing homes, you know, they, in theory, they could have as much as 40, 40, 50, $60,000 worth of income, but if they're paying Five or six thousand dollars a month to be in that nursing home or that assisted oh, yeah. facility, that would bring their in, you know their income down to almost or if not zero, pretty close to zero for our benefit, which means they would maximize the rate that they would be allowed to have. It's expensive to be in long-term care. There's no doubt about that. In fact, it would bring most of us to our knees after a period of time. Yes, 
And we do have the ability to, um, like on an, on initial claims, it's it's typically only the uh, only the medical expenses from the date of claim forward that we can count. But we have the ability to do particularly recurring medical expenses. So if they are already in a nursing home, we can take that and calculate that out over a twelve month period and give them the credit for that ahead of time. So that will make them eligible, like from day one, instead of having to wait for a year to come back in with those medical expenses. Besides income, do assets count? Yes, it d- does. We actually have a threshold right now, and it, it's our threshold is it's just over one hundred thirty thousand dollars. The thing to be cognizant of with that threshold, though, it does not include your primary home. It does include your vehicle. It does include the internal contents of your home. You know, it, it looks at things like um, how much money you have in the bank, uh, what type of investment capital you may have, if you have a second home or stuff. That is what we count as assets. But your your primary home, we don't count. And we look at a lot size of like uh, two acres, right? Anything over two acres, then we would we would look at the value of that, but only if it's parcelable. So, you know, if you can't sell it off, we're not going to count it against you. You know, it's interesting here how many things that are available through the VA and this program here, for those of us that look at long-term care, now I'm not worried about it because I have 100%, but a lot of people are, and they don't know what's going to happen to them. In this instance, there's available benefits that are going to help them and keep them in reasonable care. Yes. And on top of that, we also have, you know, as you said earlier, that assisted living or or, um, nursing home is expensive, right? And typically I've seen it, you know, where, you know, someone could have $100,000 of assets or whatever available to them, but within a year or two of being in a nursing home, that money's gone. By law, we have a limitation on how much we can supplement somebody's income for. But once an individual actually gets to the point where they end up getting Medicaid, right, we will actually reduce your benefit. And and in reality, it's better for the beneficiary for us to do that. As an example, if you're staying, if you're in a nursing home under Medicaid, typically Medicaid allows a beneficiary or a resident to keep about $30 a month, right, for personal need, for personal care, which, you know, grooming and and buying soap and shampoo and things like that. Under our program, what we do is we reduce you to the $90 rate. So we we would bring an individual down from, say, max rate getting, you know, over $1,000 a month to, to $90. But the law requires that the entire $90 go to the beneficiary. Right. Oh. So the, nurse, the nursing home can't use any of that $90 to calculate in the expenses of, of what they charge for the, you know, what they're charging. And so that actually gives you more money. It gives the individual more money in their pockets to be able to take care of more personal needs. I can see, Deputy Director Keel, that, that there is a tremendous amount of information here. I promise that I give you an opportunity to talk about something I haven't asked. I've only got about a minute, but something I haven't asked that you want to be sure gets out. So uh, in addition to the the pension program, right, um, which requirements are the individual has to be permanently and totally disabled or age 65 or but not, not necessarily military disabled, correct? Not necessarily military disabled, correct. Over age 65 or in receipt of social security, they have to have 90 days of uh, military service if they served before uh, September 7th, 1980, uh, 90 consecutive days or 24 months, uh, con- 24 months continuous after that period. And then they, their discharge has to be other than dishonorable. And as we talked about, they have to have at least one day of wartime service. But we also have special monthly pension, right? We have aid and attendance and housebound benefits that are within the pension program. 
And with these benefits, you know, to, to meet the requirement for aid and attendance, you know, a, a veteran or beneficiary needs to needed assistance with activities of daily living. And then with housebound, they have to be confined to their home without being able to leave without having to have someone assist them. What that does, those additional benefits, it increases the threshold and, and the dollar amount. So a, a veteran just, you know, getting pension would be about 13, just over $13,000 a month. And then for A&A, that would take that up over $20,000 a month. I have to say, this is fascinating, Deputy Director Creel. And I'd like to have you back. Would you come back with me one day here soon? Not a problem, sir, because uh, I'd also like to talk about the, the benefits we have for this, the survivors of, of veterans, the DIC, the dependency indemnity compensation, as well as the burial entitlements that we provide. I would be delighted to have you. We'll work through uh, Joe Williams and Lee Patnett, the two PIO officers, to make that happen. Thanks for coming on the show. My guest today has been Deputy Director Kevin Friel, Pensions and Fiduciary Services. And we're going to have you back because you got some really good information. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, you're unique, you're special, and you're great. Tell you so, so often because you are, you know. And we'll talk to you again very soon on Veterans Corner Radio. You've been listening to Veterans Corner with your host, Air Force veteran Bill Hodges. The views expressed on this program are those of Bill and his guests and are opinions based on the best available information. In matters of law or governmental regulation, it will always be best to check with the appropriate agency. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us for the next Veterans Corner. Before we go, here's a quick final thought. Why not take a minute to follow or mark Veterans Corner radio podcasts as a favorite? It's easy, and you'll be among the first to be notified when new episodes of the podcast are released. And thanks for listening to Veterans Corner Radio Podcasts.